Now, today we're in part three of a series, uh, like I said, called Twisted Theology. And in this series, what we're doing is we are talking about some of the ways that we twist our understanding of God and his will for our lives. And when we do that, we end up living misguided lives and misguiding other people in their lives as well. Sometimes this happens accidentally because we're not really sure what God says in scripture on a subject. Sometimes it happens innocently because we were taught something incorrectly or we believed something all of our lives incorrectly. Sometimes this, this happens when we take a verse out of context. We, we, we read one verse and then we think we know what God's saying on that subject and we, we don't dig deeper to understand how God clarifies that in another part of scripture or what God is really meaning in that specific scripture that we use. There's all kinds of ways that we can twist theology, and then again, end up misguided in our lives and end up misguiding other people in their lives. So it's super important for us to understand scripture accurately and understand theology or our understanding of God accurately. So that's what we're trying to do in this series. So two weeks ago, we looked at the twisted theology of tolerance. And that's something that is being pushed more and more in our world today, where our world is telling us to resolve all of our conflicts. All we have to do is tolerate each other. And we learned in that message, tolerance leads to death, but love leads to life. So God has asked us to love people, not tolerate people. And I know that's challenging. I know that's really hard. I know it's a whole lot easier to tolerate people that you don't get along with. But God's asking us to love people because that leads to life. Last week, we looked at the twisted theology or our twisted understanding of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 1. In Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus said, do not judge and you will not be judged. And so many times we conclude from that, well, that means we have no right to speak into somebody else's life if they're off track in their relationship with God and no one else has any right to speak into our lives when we are off track in our relationship with God. But we learned last week, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was talking about not judging hypocritically. He's saying, don't, don't try to confront somebody with an issue in, the, in their lives when you got a major issue in your life. Deal with what's in your life and then care enough to help that person deal with the issues in their lives. And he's got specific about that. Who are we supposed to do that with? Are there Christ followers in our circles of influence. That might be somebody in our church context that you know very well. It might be somebody in your family. It might be somebody you're in a small group with or you're on a serving team with. But God was clear about who we should do that with. And it's super important for us to understand it so we can know how to live that out in a more accurate way. If you missed either of those messages and you want a little bit more clarity on that, or if you miss any of our messages, you can always go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our iTunes account and you can catch all up on all those messages if you miss one or if you want to hear them again. Now, before we dive into today's twisted topic, I want to tell you that I think this is the most important message in this series and it could be the most important message that we've ever done in the life of our church. This is super important because we're talking today about literal life and death. So I'm going to ask you today to have all your spidey senses at full alert, okay? That you're fully aware of what we're talking about. You're fully engaged and you're leaning forward. If you're a note taker, I think today would be an amazing day to take notes so that you have clarity on what we're going to talk about. You also need to know that there's a really good chance that I'm going to step on someone's toes. 
there's a really good chance that I'm going to say something today that goes against a theology that you've been taught in your life. And that might feel a little bit painful for you. But, but you need to know it's not my intention to step on toes. I do not purposely walk around looking for toes to step on. But if there's a twisted theology involved, as a pastor, I feel a heavy responsibility to teach truth accurately so that we can understand and apply that truth to our lives. So if by chance I step on your toes today, here's what I encourage you to do. Two things. Number one, I encourage you to dive into scripture. Don't just take my word for this. Dive into the verses that we're talking about. Look at expanded verses around the verses that we're talking about to understand what God says on this incredibly important subject. And the second thing I encourage you to do is let's have a conversation. So if you want to talk about this, like if I've stretched your theology or something that you've thought was true all of your life and I'm suggesting it's not, then let's talk about it. I'll be available in uh, the lobby area if you want to talk after the service. If you want to talk in person another time, we can make an appointment for that as well. Let's talk about it. So now, aren't you super interested in what we're going to talk about today? All right, anybody ready for your toes to be stepped on? All right, if not, pull your feet under your seat and then uh, you know, maybe you'll be safer. Today we're going to talk about a twisted theology that I hear at almost every funeral that I do or every funeral I attend. And as a pastor, you can imagine that's part of what I do in my job. Uh, I do funerals for people connected with our church family. I do funerals for people um, sometimes that are outside of our church family. I do funerals for people that I know, sometimes funerals for people that I don't know, but I I know their uh, their family members. And I have uh, been to some very sad, I have led some very sad funerals for people who died tragically. I have led funerals um, that were sad but meaningful because of the person that we were doing the funeral for, the way they lived their life. And it was more like a celebration of life, a true celebration, than it was kind of a sad moment of of saying goodbye to them. It was kind of a, we'll see you soon kind of a deal. So I've had a lot of experiences in funerals. I've even attended some funerals that were great. And I left uh, very hopeful. I've attended some funerals that I thought, where's the hope? We had an opportunity to express hope to people, and we left them wondering, and we left them lost. So I've had a lot of experiences uh, with that. And almost at every funeral that I've attended, I've heard someone say one of two things. At least they're in a better place, or at least their suffering is over. At least they're in a better place, or at least their suffering is over. Now, those statements may be true. They may not be true. And I understand around funerals, we like to comfort people and we like to be comforted, but I would rather speak truth than comfort people with a lie. And so when I'm leading a funeral, uh, I work very hard at being gracious and tactful and clear about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and what eternal life is about. So the reality is, for the person who's died, they may be in a better place. That's called heaven. They may be in a worse place. That's called hell. And it's super important for us to understand how we end up at either one of those places. So to explore that today, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 16. 
So if you have a Bible and you want to flip over there, I encourage you to do that. Um, the verses will come up on the screen as well. Um, but I always recommend that you dive deeper into what we're talking about on Sundays. Again, don't just take my word for it. Dive deeper and explore what we're looking at together. And in this parable, Jesus is going to give us some insight into what is going to happen after we die. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you need to know that Jesus was a master storyteller. One of the ways that he taught was through stories, and a parable is just a, a story that Jesus would make up. So it's not a real story. It's just a story Jesus would make up to teach something that was real. So it's a made-up story talking about something that isn't made up, something that is very real that we need to know about. So that's the context of this parable that Jesus is teaching about eternity. So in Luke 16, verse 19, Jesus says, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Verse 27 says, then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. That's the parable that Jesus taught. And there are a lot of things that we can learn from it. We're going to focus in on three specific things that we can learn today. And the first thing is this, everyone is going to live forever somewhere. Everyone's going to live forever somewhere. We're either going to live forever in a real place called heaven, or we're going to live forever in a real place called hell. And the rich man ended up in the place of the dead, which is a reference to hell. The poor man ended up being with Abraham at the heavenly banquet. That's a reference to heaven. So everyone's going to live forever somewhere. I'm going to pull you out of this parable for just a moment, but we'll come back. And I want you to, to look at what now, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. He says, each person is destined to die once. So that verse tells us, you and I have an appointment with death. You don't see it on your calendar. You're not exactly sure when it's coming, but it's coming. Could be this afternoon. Could be next week. Could be next year. Could be 10 years from now. Could be 50 years from now. We don't know. God knows. But aren't you excited to hear that one day you're going to die? Like, no, like none of us are really excited about that. Like, you know, the transition from this life into eternity, like not super excited about that. So we're not excited about that. But, but this verse can give us some hope 
The hope is that God knows. God knows exactly when we're going to die, and God knows how we're going to die. And that verse tells us death is not the end. There's more. There's way more to existence than what we experience here on this earth. So Jesus tells us in this parable, we're all going to live forever somewhere. We're either going to live forever with God or apart from God. The second thing we can learn from this is what Jesus isn't saying. So Jesus isn't saying rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. And he isn't saying we get to heaven by being good. He isn't saying that. He wasn't saying that if the rich man would have been nicer to the poor man, he would have ended up in heaven as well. He wasn't saying that. Jesus was very clear in this parable how we gain eternal life. And he said that through the rich man in verse 30, when the rich man said, but if someone is sent to them, meaning his brothers, if someone is sent to his brothers from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Repentance and turning to God are the only ways that we gain eternal life. And here's what repentance basically means. Repentance basically means U-turn. It means turning away from. So we're turning away from our sin, and we're turning towards God. So I want you to think about it in this context, Okay, So it's just an illustration, so it's going to break down at some point. But just imagine if you're out on Interstate I-95, and you're headed north. Okay, You're traveling north, and you notice that God is traveling south and you want to follow God, what do you do? You get off the interstate, you make a U-turn, and you turn around, and you head south. That's what repentance means. It's a U-turn. I'm turning away from my sin, the direction I was headed in my life. I'm turning away from that. I'm turning towards God. I am now following him in that direction. That's what repentance means. So We don't go to heaven because we're good people. We don't go to heaven because we attended church on a regular basis. We don't go to heaven because one day we prayed a prayer that we didn't really mean, but we hoped that it would do something for us. And we don't go to heaven because we were baptized as infants or we were baptized as an adult. Now, I know that last one is a little touchy. I know that there are faith systems that teach, and I know there are many people that have believed all of their lives that if you baptize an infant or christen a baby, that baby will go to heaven if they die as an infant, or that baby, as they grow older, will go to heaven if they die just because they were baptized. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but that's not true. Again, I would rather speak truth to you than comfort you with a lie. The only way we go to heaven is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I want you to listen to some scriptures that help give us clarity on that. And uh, these verses, I highly recommend you know. Not just you can find them in your Bible, you memorize them. These are verses that will benefit you and other people who may need to know this information when they're trying to cross the bridge of faith. So Acts uh, chapter 3, verse 19 tells us to gain eternal life, we must repent of our sins and turn to God so that our sins may be wiped away. And then Romans 3.23 tells us, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You know what that uh, Greek word there, for everyone, means? It means everyone. It means you. It means me. 
It means the pope. It means our president. It means everyone who's ever lived on planet Earth or who, who will ever live on planet Earth except Jesus. Everyone has sinned. We've all messed up. And I know that that's offensive sometimes. I know that you know, sometimes people say, like, what are, you, what are you calling me, a sinner? Yeah, I am. And guess what? I'm not just calling you that. I'm calling me that. I'm a sinner. I have done things that have hurt my relationship with God. And whether we sin in small ways or big ways, that separates us from a God who loves us. So that's Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. So the penalty for the sins that we've committed, whether big or small, is that we deserve to die. But if you stop reading there, you've stopped way too early. You gotta keep reading. That verse continues and it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that free gift that's free to us costs God everything. It cost him the life of his son, one of his most prized relationships. And he was willing to allow his son to die in our place. And, and Romans 5.8, this is one you won't see on the screens. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that moment we're all shaking our little fists at God saying, leave me alone. You're not the boss of me. You don't have to tell me what to do. I'm not going to listen to you. That's the moment that Jesus said, I'll go. I'll die for them. They are that valuable. And then Romans 10.9 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Saved is a biblical term for the concept of being saved from hell and being saved for heaven. Again, these verses are so incredibly important for us to understand. They give us the clarity. They help us understand that we can't be good enough to get into heaven. We can't follow enough religious rules. We can't count on baptism or, or something that somebody else has done for us. We can only count on what Jesus has done for us. And then our decision to make him Lord of our lives. The Apostle Paul expounds on this concept in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you put your faith in Jesus. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift Again, a free gift to us that costs God everything. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Now, should we do good things? Absolutely. Should we get baptized as followers of Jesus? Absolutely. But we do those things after we have put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So we get baptized to demonstrate our decision to follow Jesus, and we do good things to live in response to what Jesus has done for us. We don't count on those things to get us on God's good list. We don't count on the good things that we try to do to get on God's good list. We count on what Jesus has done for us. Now, sometimes people think that baptism is a requirement for salvation, Sometimes people actually put baptism and salvation together. They think they're the same thing. And so sometimes when I'm having a spiritual conversation with somebody and I'll ask them about their faith journey 
Uh, they'll say something like, well, I was baptized. You know, sometimes it was as a kid or I was baptized at a certain spot in my adult life. And that may or may not mean that that person is a follower of Jesus. So let me explain it this way. So baptism and salvation are two different things. Okay, they're two different things we need to understand. And I'll explain it through um, my wedding band. So my wife and I have been married for 27 years. And you should applaud her next time you see her. For her to put up with me for 27 years is a big deal. So imagine back when we were dating, imagine if we said, you know, listen, we're committed to each other. We love each other. Like, you know, why go through the formality of a wedding? Why spend that money? Um, Like, let's just get wedding bands. Let's put wedding bands on just to kind of show the commitment that we have with each other. So if we made that decision, put wedding bands on, does that make us married? No, it doesn't make us married. That just means that we put a wedding band on. What makes us married is the decision that we made, that we made public with other people. We had a a pastor there. We had a bunch of witnesses. And they were witnesses to the decision that we made to each other. And we exchanged vows. We said, I promise, I will, until death do us part. And we said that to each other. That was the decision that we made to get married. And we put wedding bands on, and it just shows, it's just a symbol. It shows that, that we're married. When somebody sees my hand or my wife's hand, then you can know, oh, at some point, they made a decision to get married and commit them li- their lives to someone else. So salvation and baptism are very similar. Salvation is when we decide to follow Jesus, when we decide to put our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. Baptism is just a symbol of the decision that we've made to do that. And when we're baptized, it's very symbolic. It's, it's us identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When, when we go under the water, we're identifying with his death and his burial. When we come out of the water, it's symbolizing us being raised to new life in Christ. So again, those are two separate Things And I don't believe that baptism is a requirement for salvation or eternal life. I think it's a good thing to do. I think we should do it. I don't think it's a requirement. Now, I'm going to take you to the day that Jesus died to explain that. The day that Jesus died, scripture says that there were two criminals on crosses next to Jesus. One criminal rejected Jesus on the cross. The other criminal put his faith in Jesus and said, you really are the Messiah. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you step into your kingdom. So I want you to imagine if baptism was a requirement for salvation, what Jesus would have said to that criminal. Jesus would have said, I'm sorry, fella, but sucks to be you because you can't get off the cross and go get baptized. And Jesus wouldn't have said sucks to be you because that's not a Jesus-y thing. So Jesus would have said, I'm sorry, but you can't. You can't get baptized, so you're stuck. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said to the guy, the criminal on the cross who'd lived his life in the wrong direction all of his life, but before he died, he repented. He did a U-turn. And he said, I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So baptism is not a requirement for salvation. One more thing about baptism. I often get asked by people if they should be re-baptized, if they were baptized as an infant. And my answer to that is yes. So it's super important, I think, for us to be baptized after we understand the decision that we are making to follow Jesus. So 
Um, again, when it comes to infant baptism, I think that a, a, can be a special thing. We don't practice that here at Epic. We practice, practice a child dedication, which really is a parent dedication. I think that can be a, a special thing for a family. Um, but if you were baptized as an infant, uh, you need to put your faith in Jesus as an adult or as an older child. And then after that, I would recommend that you get baptized. Now, that leads us to the third thing that Jesus teaches from this parable, and it's this. We have to make a decision to follow Jesus for ourselves. It's got to be personal. We can't count on something that somebody else did for us. We have to do it for ourselves. And this is important because sometimes people tell me that they're Christians because their parents are Christians. Sometimes people have told me um, they're Christians because they've always believed in Jesus. And some people have actually told me they were born a Christian. Now, I know that when people are saying things like that, especially the last two, I know that they, they kind of mean like, I can never remember a time where I didn't believe in Jesus. But that statement that I'm a Christian just because I can't remember a time that I didn't believe in Jesus, that's not necessarily true. No one can be a Christian because their parents are Christians. No one uh, has believed in Jesus all of their lives. And no one is a Christian because they were born that way. We have to make a personal decision. As an infant, you can't make a personal decision. We have to be old enough, could be five years old, could be 95 years old, but you have to be old enough to make a decision for yourself. That's what it means for you personally to be a follower of Jesus. Here's my Jesus story. When I was young, my family lived in Michigan and we lived in this big apartment building. And uh, I remember one day, uh, I was young. I wasn't off to school yet. And I was having a, a, a snack. So it was like a break in, in my day. What was I doing? I don't playing all day or something. And I'm sitting at the kitchen table, drinking a glass of milk. And my mom's washing dishes. And I remember thinking, what does it mean to be saved? So my parents uh, had um, been followers of Jesus. Actually, my mom became a follower of Jesus when I was one years old. My dad put his faith in Jesus when he was 16, uh, but didn't really get serious about that until later in his life. Uh, but they had my brother, my sister, and I uh, around church and were teaching us issues of faith. And so that issue of salvation came up. I'm like, what does that really mean? So I asked my mom, and she stopped washing dishes. She got her Bible out, and she explained to me what Jesus did on the cross for me. She used some of the verses that we've looked at today. She explained that, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and the wrong things that I had done. And guess what? At five, I knew I had done some wrong things. I didn't want to talk to, to my mom about those things in that moment, but I knew I had done some wrong things that I needed forgiveness for. And she explained that if I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, saved means he'll save a place for me in heaven for all of eternity. He'll step into my life. At that point, at five years of age, he would step into my life and guide me through my life, and then he would guide me through all of eternity. And at five, I thought that was a pretty great deal. And so I put my faith in Jesus on that day. Do I remember the exact date? I don't. Did I know everything that it meant to follow Jesus at that moment? No, I'm still learning what that means. But Jesus tells us that we have to come to him with the faith of a child. So on some day in 1976, I became a follower of Jesus. I decided for myself to become a follower of Jesus. 
For those of you who are doing math, trying to figure out how old I am, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll celebrate my 50th birthday. Okay? Some of you are thinking, wow, he's young. Others of you are thinking, wow, he's kind of old. So cut that however you want to cut that. So that's a decision I made for me, but what about you? Have you made that decision? If you have, can you articulately explain it? Can you tell other people, here's my Jesus story, and here's what's so important about our Jesus story. It's not that I I was baptized and had this religious experience. That may be a part of our story, but that's not the Jesus part. The Jesus part is when our life intersected with Jesus and we did a U-turn. We turned away from our sins and we turned to follow God. Does that mean we're going to be perfect from that moment on? Absolutely not. But we're going to learn how to follow Jesus and to become more like him every day. So do you have that in your story? If you're a Christ follower, can you share that with other people? It's super important. If, if you meet somebody at work and they're curious, they're searching for truth and they want to know about eternal life and how to have a relationship with Jesus and they get to that spot and they're asking you, like, what should I do? You can say, I don't know, come to church and listen to the bald guy talk about that. Like, you can say that, but I don't want you to say that. Nothing wrong with saying that. But I want you to be able to say, let me tell you. Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you how my life intersected with Jesus. Let me tell you about the U-turn I made. And let me help you make that decision. So again, I think it's super important, if you're a Christ follower, to be able to share your God story, your Jesus story with other people so they can learn how to do that as well. Remember, we're all going to live forever somewhere. Where do you want your friends to live? Where do you want your family to live? Do you want them to live with you? If you're Christ Christ, do you want them with you in all of eternity? Do you want them in this place known in scripture as hell? Where do you want them? We're all going to live forever somewhere. To go to heaven, you have to repent of our sins. We have to turn to God. We have to make that decision for ourselves. We can't count on what anybody else has done for us. Let me cover one more thing before we close. And um, this is a conversation that comes up often um, for me when I'm talking with people about baptism and specifically infant baptism. And and the the conversation also includes people with mental handicaps. So sometimes somebody will say, well, what about a, a child who dies before they can make that decision for themselves? What about somebody who's an adult that has a mental handicap and, and we're not sure if they can make that decision for themselves or not? I think the answer from scripture is God's grace. God knows people's hearts. God knows people's minds. And I think it's super important. I think scripture is clear. We have to be able to make a decision for ourselves. We have to understand that information and be able to make that. Can an infant understand that and make that decision? Absolutely not. Can someone who's got a mental handicap, can they make that that decision? Maybe, maybe not. But I think when someone can't make that decision for themselves, God's grace steps in and he welcomes them into heaven. If you're curious about digging deeper into that, I recommend you read Romans chapter one, specifically verse 20, and then read about uh, King David's encounter with the child that he had that died in 2 Samuel chapter 12. That'll give you more clarity on that specific subject. Okay, everybody still with me? You hanging? You okay? We've covered a lot of information today. Got just a little bit more to go. Um, This is a matter of life and death. Super important. I don't want anybody wandering through life wondering. There's no need to wonder. You don't have to wonder, like, am I going to go to heaven when I die? Am I good enough? Is my baptism, is is it going to be enough? 
I would hate for people to count on that and to stand before God and find out that's not enough. It's, it's not what it's about. Like you missed the whole point. So I think it's super important for us to understand this. And I think we can know with clarity. Now, the apostle John says in 1 John 5, 11, he says, this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. And I've written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so you may know you have eternal life. We don't have to wonder. We can know with confidence whether we have eternal life or not. So if you've put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You have the son. That means you have eternal life. If you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have the son yet. And that means you don't have eternal life yet, but you could. And I'm going to guide you in how you can do that today. Before we get to that, let me just say again, if I've stepped on your toes, dive into scripture. If you want to talk more about it after the service, I'm available. Uh, I'll be out in the lobby. I would love to talk uh, at a deeper level about these super important subjects. If you have a care need in your life, if you've got a prayer need, stop by our care table. We've got some amazing people there that would love to talk with you and just care for you in any way that, that we can just to, to help support you, let you know that God is for you. Now, in closing, if you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to guide you in how you can do that. And I've boiled this down into what I call the ABC prayer of salvation. And, and this is not original to me. I'm sure I, I uh, stole it from somebody else and tweaked it for us. Um, but let me walk through these basic elements. These are super important. This is beneficial. If you're a Christ follower and you want to help somebody else cross the bridge of faith, this is important to know. If you're not a Christ follower yet and you want to cross the bridge of faith on your own, this is super important for you to know. So the A stands for admitting. What are we admitting? We're admitting we're sinners in need of a savior. And the B stands for believing. That's believing that Jesus is that savior who died so we can live. And then the C represents asking Jesus to come into our life and be our personal Lord and savior. And then it involves committing to follow him. So that's part of that U-turn, that I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. So that's the ABC prayer of salvation. And I'm going to guide you through in just a moment. And if you haven't made that decision yet in your life, let me remind you, one day you're going to die. People are going to gather for a funeral service for you. I might lead your funeral. Someone else might lead your funeral. Funeral director might lead your funeral. And people can wonder about where you are. People can comfort themselves uh, with possibly a lie that maybe you're in a better place, maybe your suffering is over. Or people can know with confidence where you are because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And your decision today can determine what your funeral is like. So I'm going to ask all of us to, to pray together, and then our worship team is going to close us out with a final song, which is, a, a, I think, a great song for wrapping up today's message. And as we pray today, I'm going to talk to, to several different groups of people. So if you would, let's just bow our heads and, and pray together. First, as we begin, I, I want to talk to uh, those of you who would say that you're a Christ follower. 
And I'm just curious if there's anybody here willing to say, you know what, like I'm a Christ follower, but like I, I don't know really how to articulate my Jesus story. And I need to learn how to do that because I have friends, I have family members that need to hear that for their lives as well. So if you're in that spot and you'd say you could learn how to do that and you need to learn how to do that, would you mind just raising your hand real quick? There's a number of folks yeah, all over. So, Lord, I, I thank you for the courage that uh, these people have, have said and raised their hands in this. Lord, it's a reality. It's something that we all need to learn how to do. And um, sometimes when, when we put our faith in you, Jesus, we, we, we don't work on the articulation part of sharing our story with other people and learning how to do that and learning how to do that with confidence and boldness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give uh, these people the clarity that they need for crafting their, their Jesus story and maybe writing that down, maybe memorizing that so that they can share that with other people in a very clear and concise way of what it means to put their faith in Jesus. Our friends, our family members desperately need to know this information. And as we continue to pray, I'm also curious to know if there's anybody here who says, you know, like, I've never made that decision. Like, maybe I, I was counting on baptism as a baby. And maybe I was counting on the fact that I grew up, like, hearing my parents teach me about God, or I grew up in church, and I just thought that I could get into heaven based upon that. So if you're in that spot, and you recognize today that that information's not true, and you want to start a relationship with Jesus through a conversation that you can have with him, and then a decision to follow that up through a commitment to follow him, I encourage you to pray this prayer after me or pray something similar after me. So I'm going to guide you through this. If you're in that spot, just say something like this. God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a savior. God, today I believe that Jesus, you are that savior. You're the one who died so I can live. And today, in a middle school cafeteria or watching online somewhere around the world, I put my faith in Jesus and I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And today I commit to follow you the rest of my life. As we continue to pray, I'm curious if there's anybody willing to say, you know what, I prayed that prayer just now for the first time in my life. If so, would you mind slipping your hand up? Just holding it up for a second. Let me just see in that. We had somebody in the first service that prayed that prayer. Um, anybody here in the second service willing to admit that's the prayer I just prayed? And uh, is there one hand over here? There's one. Thank you for the courage of that. There might be somebody online who's uh, making that decision as well. Um, so let's finish praying together. God, I thank you for the courage of, of these folks, Lord, that are here on campus that have made that decision or um, those that might be making that decision online. Lord, it's super important for us to know with clarity what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I pray for these new folks that have, have started that relationship now through that declaration. I pray that they would grow. Lord, I know you want them to grow. I pray that they'd keep coming back and keep growing and learning what it means to have that personal relationship with you and how you can transform their lives forever. 
And Lord, I pray for all of us that, that we would learn how to share our stories. Um, I know that, that, Lord, we've got to be clear with that. We've got family. We've got friends who desperately need to know this information. We need to be bold. We need to care about them. And we need to have clarity in how we share this information. So give us the opportunities. Open our eyes to the many opportunities that we have to share our Jesus story with people who desperately need to hear how they can have their own Jesus story. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.